Hello world, thanks for tuning in. And we had such a fantastic conversation with Sean McNeely that we didn't have enough information for just the one show, but two great shows from our last through line. We were talking mostly about the strategy around uh, sales and um, mass marketing, but we also had some fantastic information about organizational development, a little bit more about the impact of marketing on sales. So we bring to you the second half of our interview with Sean McNeely from Wonderman Thompson, global marketing strategy firm. And we've got that coming up right here on the Sales Synergistics Podcast. Thank you for a little bit of insights about Wonderman Thompson. Uh, I want to ask a couple of questions, if I may, about what could the Wonderman Thompson culture do for you and your organization to, to break down silos? And that's, that's really important, really critical. We talked about some of the, uh, the, the physical work of how you all get your work done, but from a leadership perspective, you know, what is it like leading collaborative, creative teams of people like this? Some of the things that you do on a daily basis. Can you tell us about how you lead your teams and getting that best quality, creative, collaborative process up? I think the first thing is, is communication is the most critical component. What information do you have? Who needs to know it? Have you done everything to ensure that you've shared that information so that it's understood? Um, you know, when I, when I look at our team, I, I'm a conduit between the agency and the client, you know, my, my direct interface and, and, and client side contact has a, the responsibility for running the program, uh, for the Marine Corps and has to rely on us for recommendations and insights and information and obviously the development of work and strategies. Um, so when they propose a, uh, an idea or when they have a business problem that needs our attention, getting as much information from them about the nature of that problem and sharing it as quickly with the right people is essential to ensuring that we've got the right stakeholders inside the agency considering the issue, considering the problem, and getting everybody together to talk about it. Um, you've got to create an open dialogue. I think that fosters trust. When there's trust in the room, uh, people aren't afraid to express their mind. They're not holding back what their thoughts are out of fear of being judged in some way. Um, they're contributing to that collaboration uh, as, as important as, uh, you know, everybody's voice is they're, they're being heard and they're not restrained from that. So I think communication breeds trust and, and that of course is essential to, to collaboration. That's the shortest one to say it. Well, that's interesting. I got to tell you, I remember reading a book once uh, where the author talked about walking through uh, an engineering floor. And he, this was back in the 50s, of course. So, of course, the guy sitting at his desk smoking a cigar with his feet up on the desk. And he points to him and he says, you know what, if I walk over to that guy and ask him what he's doing and tell him to get to work, he's going to tell me he's thinking, right? <laughs> Just sitting there, right. spending idle time, right. thinking and daydreaming. And I've got deadlines, and it's frustrating as hell because I know I've got to get this high-quality, 
you know, creative, collaborative product out to my customer by X date, and I'm walking around looking at people just being idle, it's just frustrating, and there's no way around it. Do you have to deal with that yourself? Like, you've got these, these millennials in the office just hanging out, maybe playing a video game, but they're working at the same time. Does that come up at all? Yeah, they, they, they work hard. You know, the team works hard. And, and if part of that is sitting in a room and thinking, that's, that takes real brain power, energy, and focus. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing that's maybe distinctly unique about our business, um, you know, compared to some, uh, an engineering organization, at least, is the notion that there's a, there's a real investment made in the, in the creative process that people have to go through. And it's not the same for everyone. People produce work differently. There's not a set process by which you go and produce work. There's a set process by which work moves through the agency. And that's helpful because it keeps everybody honest and on time and budget and scope are all uh, managed more effectively that way. But Mm -hmm. in terms of the the time spent or that's allocated to the creative ideation process or the strategic framing process uh, or the comms planning development, you know, people produce in a, in a different capacity. So when you, when you walk around and you wonder, you know, where are you at with that idea? If you've done a good job, you know, communicating consistently, maintaining contact and, and relationship with the people throughout the agency, you can ultimately help them through uh, a period of, if it's not a mental block, just a period of what seems to be idle time when they're actually just, they're just processing it. It's just marinating. They're, yeah. they're thinking about it. And, and that conversation alone might be the thing that just kind of jars the idea loose or, or propels it forward a little bit. Yeah. Well, amen to that. And I, I hear you ghosting a practice there. You, you seem to spend a lot of time uh, going around, sitting with your people, talking to them, uh, you know, engaging them and asking them what their thought process is and, and to help them move forward. And I think that not enough people uh, do that leadership by walking around. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, that was a great phrase that I, that I saw in, the, in some of the work that you've been putting out there, Jason. And whether it's by physically walking around, and, and that certainly happens um, often, or it's just it's scheduling meetings, and not everybody gets in, inundated with meetings, and the eyeballs start to roll like, okay, here's another meeting. What's this one going to do? I think if you've mm-hmm. got um, you know, a, a consistent practice of getting keep the right people in the room to have conversations about where they're at, with the process, it doesn't feel um, as though that this is a, a non-productive meeting, you know, that you're scheduling. You're trying to you're, you're trying to get everybody in the room to talk about where their thinking is and where their head is, and um, and and foster an environment where you can actually have a dialogue and a and a debate on some of those ideas, so that um, you know you're helping each other work through those solutions and getting everybody on the same page. I I feel like one of the things that we we tend to do in in the business is we challenge each other a lot internally and that helps us ensure that, you know, the ideas that we're presenting to the client have been stress tested, that they hold up to scrutiny, that they're, um, you know, not ultimately going to just wither away when a client asks the tough question. You know, we, we, we pride ourselves and, and try to do as much as we can to think through as many of the, the various angles that uh, an idea could be, if not attacked, just poked at, you know, and, and if if we've done our 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 work well, if we've collaborated well together, then um, usually what we, what we find is that that um, when we present the ideas to the client and they've got the tough questions, we're ready for them. So yeah. leadership by walking around, holding those meetings, not being afraid to call them, but 
being sure to 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 call them with purpose and meaning and structure so that people don't feel like they're they're a waste of time um those are all important steps yeah you're right i i think that uh that could be helpful you saw my my work and some of the things that published this collaboration between different silos in the business uh is important because there's some organizations that have a little uh silo in their business that feels like mm-hmm. jay wonderman thompson you know not the J, just Wonderman Thompson, right? It's no longer J. <laughs> right. Yeah, feel like Wonderman, Wonderman yep. Thompson. Wonderman Thompson. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they spend a lot of time working around that organization, but they don't spend enough time getting some of that culture out into the rest of the business and blending operations and marketing and sales together to where some of those cultures can rub off on each other. Um, and I just feel like it's very critical to get some of that collaborative creative process out of those single uh, centers of influence where you have that kind of culture in, a, in an organization and making sure it gets into sales, make sure it gets into operations down onto the production floor. Things like that, I think are important. You know, what could the kind of collaborative, uh, you know, creative environment do for some of those businesses internally? What do you think? I think clients come to the agency and they see an open floor plan. They see people, you know, jumping into rooms um, even when they're coming just for you know their own business with their account leads or their teams, and they're sitting in the conference room and they're kind of locked up there for you know a few hours or half a day or a day or whatever it may be to achieve whatever goal they set forth. But when they just are in that environment, you know, over the course of that time, and they see people interacting that way, I think it starts to liberate um, you know their their thought process as well. And we often hear you know folks say, "Oh, we love coming here. You know, we love coming to the agency. We love coming in." Um, and just being kind of soaking up, you know, the, the energy that that uh, that environment uh, produces. So um, what it could do to, to help their business, if nothing else, you know, it, it gets people in the right mindset to have ideas and, and the freedom to express those ideas without fear of rejection or reprisal and and have focus on. Um, you know what what is what's in the best interests of of our business and how we all have a voice and an ability to speak to you know problem solving. You know you've got a job. There might be boundaries against that job, but it's okay to push up against those boundaries a little bit and talk to the person on the other side of that boundary who's directly on the other side and see where it can blend in a little bit to help one another. Yeah. And hopefully that's where that's where it produces the best result. What is the responsibility of that? That silo breaking fall is it at the top or among the people? Definitely both. You've got to have it at a leadership level to ensure that people don't feel like the leader isn't practicing, you know, something that they're preaching. It has to it has to be, you know, evidenced through their behavior and through their actions. But then the expectation is that they're checking in and saying, "How are you collaborating? How are you bringing people into the fold? Tell me who you're talking to. Um, you yeah. know, have you considered bringing so and so in?" And, and and then really setting expectations, you know, among that group that you know, if for this for this product to be as good as it can be, for this work to be as good as it can be, uh, you've got to make sure that it's got a point of view and a perspective from you know these disciplines, these individuals, you know, who are part of the team. Um, it's not a nice to do; it's a must do. And mm-hmm. you know, they're here for a reason. They're here to help the process. And then it's up to those folks to really you know work well together and figure out the best way. Um, to find a rhythm and a balance and how they're going to communicate and start to share ideas so that the trust between those groups is increased and and the output is increased. And it all does come back to that essential ingredient of communication. 
And, you know, the more consistent you are with your communication, the more open you are with your communication, the more uh, collaborative an environment you're going to, you're going to foster. I, I think, again, communication breeds trust, trust breeds collaboration. Mm. Um, somebody who comes in for the first time and believes they have all the answers and they're in their new role and they're acting in their new role, but start to, to challenge or push those boundaries back a little bit on what you perceive to be your area of responsibility or, uh, you know, your expertise. If they haven't put some time and investment into that open communication, into listening, into being, you know, active listeners uh, and, and spending some time trying to get to know a little bit about the person on the other side, trust is likely not going to be bred as quickly um, and as a result, I think you're going you're gonna to feel a little bit more tension. Those silos start to be a little bit more defined. People get a little bit more defensive and a little bit more protective of their world. Mm. Uh, that's human, human nature. And if you're open and communicating and spending time listening to the other side and, and, and trying to get some, some real dialogue and relationship established there, all of a sudden the silo walls come down people start working together a little bit more uh, effectively because there's trust that they're not doing this for any other reason than to try to make something better. And, and somewhere along the line, you've both stumbled into a place of common ground. Um, so I, I think ultimately it, it's, it's the only way for silos to break down is if people are actively listening, actively communicating, doing it with consistency and, and, and fostering that trust that's essential for collaboration. So, Sean, as we've talked about before, there seems to be some fundamental friction uh, between sales and marketing that, that goes on. Uh, how have you seen that you know, play out in, in the work that you do uh, as, a, as a global brand marketer? Um, the fundamental tension that exists between sales and marketing uh, is that what, what marketing is saying at a national level and what sales say to close the deal don't always line up exactly. Um, but they don't have to. It, 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 they, you, you don't have to make so many concessions to make sure that it's a seamless proposition because there's a, you're, you're talking to customers or consumers at different stages in the process. Brand advertising is meant to draw people in. It's a classic marketing funnel. You know, you're, when you go through a purchase decision, you have to first have awareness of the product, understanding of the product or service and what it, what it does. You search to see if that there are other, you know, other products like it and how it stacks up, you know, into, into, you know, what it is that that's right for you. Mm -hmm. Then you make the consideration and then ultimately you're going to make a decision to buy. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, it just, it, it, that process, it, it, you go through that, those steps, you know, as a buyer. Yeah. So some of the things that I do in teaching sales to sellers uh, through the Aslan training curriculum, we talk about that balance between logic and emotion. And there has to be a pretty decent balance led by emotion first for someone to make yeah. a purchase decision. There's a lot of logic to go in. The grocery getter uh, analogy, when you talked about the SUV, how many groceries will it hold? You need to rationalize this purchase from an ROI perspective, but the brand selection, which storeroom are you going to walk in first? You know, which floor are you going to walk on to, to pick that car? That's an emotional decision driven by brand at a national broader level. 
so that that messaging is emotionally driven to get you to walk in for something you're hoping, expecting to see, an experience you're hoping to have from starting that purchase process, not on the, the decision to pull the trigger and buy a product. There are different messages that happen at those different phases in order to appeal to those folks. And there are different tactics you employ at different times to appeal mm-hmm. to those folks in the stage of the process they're in. And certainly, you know, in a showroom, a salesperson has, you know, a lot of pressure in that moment to, to, to close the deal and has to understand what is most important to that person now that they're there in front of them. What is going to make them buy? And if they, you know, some sometimes it's people who have come in because of brand advertising and feel like this is, you know, it's a, it, it might even be an easier sell that way. It's like, oh, yeah, you can see yourself in this thing, can't you? I mean, go back. You remember National Lampoon's vacation when Clark shows up at the dealership and he's expecting the sporty wagon. Instead, he gets the family truckster and the salesperson's yeah. Eugene Levy, and he goes right into like, oh, this is the automobile for you. You know, it's like yeah. that whole mindset that just shifts because out of necessity to close the deal, out of necessity to make it happen. But if, it, if, if that through line is solid and it's been presented to somebody as to why they're coming in, um, you know, understanding, you know, what motivation probably brought them in here because the brand's well-defined as to what types of people that attracts, then it should be easier for the sellers to, to, to refine their pitch and to pinpoint the, the little details that are ultimately going to convert them without having to work extra hard. Right. I, I love the way you... Well. I love the way you mentioned with, uh, you know, the the um, intangibles that the Marines right. use as part of their brand strategy. I think about clients of yours like HSBC. I just got back from London, uh, spent a good two weeks there on separate occasions, and the HSBC advertising is striking. It is, it is evocative and emotional and and impactful, but I couldn't really nail down to myself exactly what it is that I would buy from HSBC. It's not a product, but it's something to say that, Mm -hmm. look at that. That has gotten me to think about bold and powerful and world changing. And all of that just leads into this emotional experience because I can't even put my finger on any one product that I would want to buy from HSBC personally. It doesn't go to transaction, but it does go to those intangibles, evocative, emotional experience type of things that would lead me to, if I'm thinking about a, a, a you know global line of credit, you know for my international business, let me think about HSBC. That emotional decision to at least look them up and look for that logo, right? Yeah, that's his. That's his uh, kind of a classic model, as you would you would hope. You know that that that's exactly the the impact and the impression that a brand would want to put on its customer, who is not yet their customer, but a potential customer, somebody who eventually will kind of slide through that funnel until they get to the point where they're buying. Um, you know, it's an investment. It's not yeah. a, not all strategies produce results immediately. And because not everybody's at the same decision to buy um, stage, you know, all at the same time, they go through it. And so you're constantly in the market and you're constantly working through, you know, tactics and solutions that are aimed at those people, but you got to move them through it. And if you're only investing in strategies that are aimed at the buy now customer, you're likely not going to have a very broad pool of people in the future. You're winnowing it down constantly because you haven't invested for the future. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the funnel because you think about moving people through the funnel. Uh, I'm stressing to everyone I talk to, the funnel is dual-sided. 
right? It opens at the top and narrows at the purchase process, but it opens up again as you move people from the transaction, from apathy of not knowing about your product, all the way through advocacy. And there's right. a continual right. sales and marketing That's process. Exactly right. The salesperson yep. keeps getting dragged back into, keeps getting dragged back into that, uh, keep the client, you know, repeat business, yeah. you know, grow that that uh, experience with the customer. They, they get dragged into it, but marketing is not as, as involved on the backside. After we get married in the transaction process, just like you remember at the altar, now what? We're married, now what? So what's the marketing's involvement in keeping that funnel moving towards advocacy and getting people to come right. and join this select few who've purchased from your, your brand? What's that role? Well, you know, that's the, that advocacy piece is, is so critical today because, you know, word of mouth advertising has always been the most powerful form of advertising. That's what people have, that's the, that's the message that we've, we've come to learn. And it's never been more apparent than today because word of mouth advertising exists on these digital platforms in ways that, you know, 20 years ago, nobody could have imagined, you know, in the form of comment sections on products or services and reviews, online reviews, and um, different social channels and platforms where a good experience can go viral and a bad experience, you know, moves even faster. So creating advocacy with people and influencers and voices that you trust um, is essential. And that feeds that awareness. That feeds people going back into the top of the funnel. Yeah. You know, the funnel is more of an hourglass, I think, to your point. Right. Yeah that's on a constant move. Well, it's almost like it's sitting on a conveyor belt, you know, an infinite conveyor belt where it's just, it's constantly moving, constantly bringing new people into that top of the funnel, constantly pushing people out on the bottom and that, that are recycled back up to the top um, mm -hmm. or pushing more people into it. So um, no doubt. You, you know, there's, we talk about the funnel here. There's a paradigm shift that I'm promoting uh, that I need the whole world to embrace, and that's to take the funnel in your mind and mentally flip the funnel. If you go and talk to your growth yeah. teams, I want you to flip that funnel because the idea of the funnel starting at the top and moving to the bottom, it gives the idea that if you put something at the top, gravity is going to pull your customer through yeah. to yeah. the purchase process. But the idea is yeah. it's a flipped funnel. It's upside down. You're starting at the bottom, and everything yeah. you do to touch that customer is going to push them up through the funnel. And yeah. time because of gravity yeah. is going to let them filter and drift back down. As you push them up the funnel, you want someone above you in the funnel to take yeah. them to the next level. So your SDR is going to do a touch. They're going to lift that customer up with some yeah. effort, push them up. And when they take their hand away, if the person at the next level doesn't reach down and grab them and now pull them up to where they are and then push them up to the, the closer and help them through that purchase process, then time is going to have that customer fall out of the funnel. So yeah. it's imperative for everybody to flip the funnel mentally and think of it that way. Well, you know, with the Marines, we don't use a funnel. We use we, we show it as a stair step. Yeah. You know, where it starts at the bottom, it's awareness. You have to have a foundation of awareness. And then you have to, that person has to, has to take the step up. And the only thing that's going to help take them, you know, the step up is if you're pulling them up the stairs. It's... It's, you know, to your point, gravity, this, this isn't something that requires no effort. It requires all the effort in the world. You have to help them do that. Um, you, have to, you have to invest in strategies, time, and money to make that journey possible, you know, or, or they'll stop. They'll just go back down because it's easier to go back down, you know. Um, 
So it, it's it's represented more as a staircase than it is, you know, uh, on a funnel. Um, I think to your point, and that's mm-hmm. that's certainly for the for the Marines, and I think probably for most of the military who are you know a bias for action. Like nothing happens just because it happens. Like you've got to make action happen. Absolutely. So that was an easy shift for them to understand and embrace, and for us to to, to talk to them about. So we don't really talk about the funnel. We talk no. about you know the model, and the model is a is a stair step. Not at all. But with that with that piece, with that fifth ring of uh, your global or or national mass marketing strategies, that's one action step that's there throughout the entire process. Is their experience with your national marketing? That's their experience with the brand that you're putting out and the brand story that you're telling. When that seller finishes and that person gets on a train, when they see the brand advertising, hopefully what they see on that you know, billboard or a commercial is going to reaffirm what was said in that meeting and keep making every one of those contact points, another push to keep them in that funnel. Without, without that presence of national marketing, of a brand strategy that people can see without the presence of a seller or a marketer actively interacting with them, then gravity has a stronger effect. You need That's that, right. like, like you said, the top cover to, to help push people through that funnel, push them up the stair steps, you know, to, to move through the transition onto advocacy. Absolutely. I mean, look, I just, there, there's a fundamental tension that exists between sales and marketing. And, you know, sometimes it, it, it's, it, it creates those silo walls or it deepens the trenches a little bit and it yeah. shouldn't, you know, you, you just, you have to understand where the other side is coming from and you have to figure out, you know, um, that top down and bottom up approach that we talked about, you've got to figure out how to, how to, we, I guess if we're sitting in the middle of that, it's developing the through line, you know, we're right in the middle, holding that line together, making sure that both sides are, you know, grabbing, grabbing their, their end of it and that it's connective. Um, mm. So I ran into that, you know, time and time again with Ford and I run into it with the Marines, um, you know, and it's natural, it exists but there's form and function and need for both. And each are absolutely essential though. You know, if you're to, if you're to really understand, you know, who's got the bigger stake in it, in the case of, you know, recruiters, um, you know, it's, they're the ones who have the mission letter. I mean, that thing, that thing hits, they they have responsibility, uh, you know, for that mission to bring kids in. And so we want to do everything we can to support them and give them the right, the confidence that the right messaging is driving people towards them. Uh, and that once they're there, they have the ability to use some of that language and some of that narrative and some of that messaging uh, with their refined sales process, their systematic recruiting process to weave that into it so that there's a, a continuity between brand and, and, and the, and the transaction. Hmm. All right. This is awesome. I can't wait till the, the day where I've grown to the point where I can, uh, I can have Wonderman Thompson helping me with my national brand strategy, you know? Um, appreciate the opportunity, Jason. That was nice. Thanks. Thank you, sir. Have a great day and stay safe. Wash your hands. Take care. Stay safe. <laughs> Bye now. <laughs> All right.